Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting back down with Ben Hunt from Epsilon Theory. Uh, If you freaks remember last summer, Ben and I sat down with James O'Byrne, had a nice conversation. Uh, It was a pretty controversial conversation because uh, Ben is a bit skeptical of the chances that Bitcoin will succeed in the face of strong governments. This episode, we really didn't focus on Bitcoin that much. We talked about it at the end and happy to report, at least in my mind, he seems a bit more receptive to the idea of Bitcoin uh, and the people behind it, more importantly. This episode, we wanted to focus on something that Ben's been covering quite uh, extensively through throughout this year as coronavirus has swept the world, and that is the failing of the institutions that, that we're supposed to trust uh, across the board, whether it be the World Health Organization, the federal government, uh, hospital administrators, uh, go down the line. Uh, there's been immense failure across the board. Uh, we really didn't focus on how these institutions failed and, and when they did, but we more wanted to focus on how individuals could turn away from these institutions and enact grassroots movements uh, to to basically fend for themselves and, and build up their local communities and uh, the global communities that they're also a part of without the need for these institutions. Um, and we also talked about uh, an initiative that Ben and uh, his his uh, cohorts at Epsilon Theory uh, are, um, are, are running in Frontline Heroes. Um, so we're going to get into that, how Frontline Heroes is helping get uh, is a grassroots movement to help get protective gear to uh, the doctors and nurses who are on the front lines treating people with uh, the coronavirus. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. They're helping us do many things. They're helping us stack sats. They're helping us stack slivers of stonks. And they're helping us save money at partner merchants with their boost program. And on top of that, they've become a bank recently. So you have a banking account number and routing number. And they're trying to help people get their stimulus checks, get their Trump bucks. So they're doing uh, incredible things across the board. They're becoming a new wave bank, in my opinion. Uh, that is, it is really doing some cool stuff. Again, they're helping you stack sats. You can uh, hop on the app, stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats if you so please. Uh, sats are the standard on the Cash App. Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency you can buy on the Cash App. They do not, uh, they do not confuse with altcoins. It is Bitcoin only, and you can find uh, safety in sats via the app. On top of that, again. Via Cash App Investing, you can stack slivers of stonks. If your favorite stonk is a little too expensive, you can buy as little as $1 via Cash App Investing. And because Cash App is either connected to your bank account or it is your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start investing today. Um, Cash App Investing is a member SIPC and a subsidiary of Square. As always, make sure you use the code STACKINGSATS when you download the app. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, stacking sats. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Use the code stacking sats. Download the Cash App today, and I hope you enjoy this quick rip with Ben Hunt. We did 45 minutes and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I know uh, Ben may not agree with all Bitcoiners, but I I think he's doing some great things in this world, and I uh, think the burn it the fuck down mentality is one that more people need to have. It's time to start walking away from these institutions that are failing us. Enjoy. Okay.
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Friday afternoon uh, during the quarantine life, sitting down with somebody who's been on the podcast before, and it was a very popular episode, very controversial. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be talking too much about Bitcoin this episode. We may touch on it towards the end, but I'd like to uh, not introduce, reintroduce you, freaks, to Ben Hunt. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Marty. Thanks for having me back. Well, thanks for coming on. I know, uh, I know the response uh to the last episode again like i said very controversial but again i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and i did too and, marty i did i did too and i i think you got a hard time for not giving me a harder time right, about about views on bitcoin and the like but uh so happy to, to revisit some of that if, if if you need to get some 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 punches in but uh um i really enjoyed that conversation and it just reaffirmed for me what i appreciate so much about, and I'm not saying this to be patronizing, and I apologize it comes up that way, the community that you're in, because I think there is a, an energy and a, an, an optimism and a, and a spirit that we need more than ever uh, as we try to reshape our world with the, the, the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, I'll save the punches for the end, but I think this is a... <laughs> I mean, the reason I brought you on today is because I think you've been doing a great job of calling out just the the blatant and widespread hypocrisy across the board from institutions that people have uh, come to expect that they can trust, whether it be um, the CDC, the World Health Organization. I mean, I don't think many people trusted the Chinese Communist Party up to this point, but it's become blatantly obvious that you shouldn't down to, I mean, just the way our government here in the United States has reacted on all levels, um, hospital administrators, how, how they mm-hmm. prepared and have been reacting. It's just, like I said before we hit record, it's very disheartening to see how every single one of these institutions seems to have failed. Uh, it's, it's crazy, right? It, yeah. it, is, um, it is disheartening. I'll, I'll give you that because what we're seeing is not just a, a litany of errors and mistakes, although certainly that's there too. What we're seeing my view is a, a litany of betrayals, and I and I and I don't use that word lightly, uh, but I mean that all of these institutions that we have charged with um, protecting the common good, uh, they've they've betrayed that. They they their words what they they say they're going to do have been in my view, in, in almost no circumstances, matched by what they've actually done. And it requires, I think, sadly, an event of this magnitude, a real-world event of this magnitude, where we have refrigerator trucks in New York City to keep the bodies. Uh, it requires an event of this magnitude to give the lie to the stories and to reveal, again, I'll use this word, the betrayals of 
really almost almost every institution I can point to. Yeah. So, who should we go after first? How? So how, this and that's another reason I brought you on because you've been uh, telling people to prepare for this pretty early on before yeah. the alarms were being sounded, and that's the crazy thing is Twitter, as it usually is, or <laughs> it the is, people on Twitter. Are, are the people who are sounding the alarms first. And that's, to me, well, it's, it's, it's been incredibly, uh, incredibly fascinating to watch, like the initial underreaction. And now as mm-hmm. more data is coming in, we're becoming more aware of who's acutely affected by COVID-19. Um, an argument to be made that maybe now there's an overreaction just as a response to the initial underreaction too. Yeah, I, I, I think the way I'd like to think about it, and this is, I think, played out in, in some of the, the notes we've written most recently on Epsilon Theory, I'll, I'll approach it from two respects. The first respect is that while I'm in violent agreement that it is so disheartening to see these betrayals of our, of our institutions, the ones who have told us that they are... are looking out for the common good, I am I'm similarly overwhelmed with a positive reaction to the generosity of spirit, to the willingness to show empathy and help that we see from just ordinary people, uh, citizens all over the world. And, you know, we wrote a note, it's about a month or so ago, where we said rather optimistically that we thought this would be, use a, a phrase from Winston Churchill when he was talking about World War II, our finest hour. And what I mean by that is not that it's going to be the finest hour from our institutions or our government or our universities or, or any power structure we can point to, but I, I do believe that it will be and is our finest hour as citizens, as as human beings rising to this challenge to see the world with clear eyes and full hearts. So I I think that's one effective way to approach this in a a, a light that shows us a way forward, right? And and, uh, that allows us to imagine what, what are the foundations for something better to come out of this? So that, that, that's one way to, to, to approach it. The other way I, I think is useful to approach this is that if we think about all the systems that uh, failed us, all the institutions that betrayed us, I think it is important to think of them as a system, right? Not as an isolated incident, not as a, a, an isolated incident of, oh, well, this institution there sure are there sure are bad guys. Let's 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 throw those bums out. And, and where I see this this playing out, and I suspect will play out much much more prominently in the months to come, is that our reaction to this will be channeled as a referendum on the vote that we're going to have in November. Right? That 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 either oh Trump did a great job or Trump did a terrible job. And that all this can be fixed depending on whether we vote Trump out or vote Trump back in for another four years. 
right? And, and my, my, my strongest possible view is that, yes, Donald Trump and the White House betrayed us. They are, they, are, they are one of the institutions that betrayed us. My personal view is that he's been one of the three or four worst presidents in the, in the history of the Republic, which is, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty rare company. But I think it would be such a, a tremendous mistake and, and frankly, a tremendous waste of the challenge that's been put in front of us if we think that the solution to the institutional betrayal, to the system of institutional betrayal that we've seen is something that can be resolved in an election, in a vote. Right? It, it, it is much deeper than that and it requires uh, a commitment that goes so far beyond this kind of faux political participation response of a vote in a certain election. That's why I'm so happy to, to, to come back on your podcast, Marty, because I, I know that so much of your audience understands exactly what I mean when I say that there is a, a, an institutional system here that has been revealed as a betrayer. I, I think that there is a, a far more um, widespread view that there is a system of betrayal here and, you know, I, I think this really is the challenge we have to rise to, to go beyond just, oh, we're going to vote for this clown or that clown in November, but how can we take steps of action that can change that system to, you know, to burn it the fuck down, as I like to call it, right? both from the, the inside and from beneath, uh, you know, how, what's the most effective approach to do that. So, so those are the, the two ways I think that are, are constructive to, to, to talk about this as opposed to kind of just going through, okay, here's the litany of betrayals and errors that we've experienced, but to instead talk about, all right, the positive out, outcome of this is that we are seeing a, a groundswell of, of popular recognition and then popular action on a grassroots level. And the second, I think, constructive way to talk about this is what is our strategy for changing the system of, you know, the high functioning sociopaths and the political entrepreneurs who, who, who dominate these, these, these institutions that again have betrayed us. No, I completely agree. And I would love to take the conversation down those paths and, I, and yeah, there's not going to be a referendum during the election. Right. The choices we have, <laughs> right now are pretty pretty i mean it's just running it's crazy how uh like how much change people have wanted over the last two decades particularly or the last 12 years particularly since obama first came to office and mm -hmm. we're just getting fed the same yep. terrible choices and and now we have people sitting at home quarantined and i i think the positive outcomes that you described are coming because people just have more time to think and it's becoming like you said glaringly obvious that these these people who are supposed to have control don't have control at all and people are seeking alternatives and um how are how are people going to react to this is is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out and i'm hoping i had chuck marone uh the, the author of strong towns and mm -hmm. uh, the 
hosts of a podcast by the same name on a month ago, right before the market started crashing. And I'm hoping uh, that people sort of turn that way uh, towards a more bottom-up revolution where they're really depending on their neighbors and their local community over over these these institutions that failed them. Well, I, I think that is such an important part of it, and uh, and I, I I like the strong towns guys a lot. You know, had them into our office to, to to talk about you know their mission, and and it's one that I I, I support. I do also believe that you know, it's one of a million different ways that you can find your pack, you know, your community, your organization, uh, and then uh, take action, right? Because it, it, it doesn't require that sort of, of geography, the town layout, although that's, that's absolutely a, 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 a vital means in, in, in some areas for doing that. But you know this is this is something that in the the densest urban area, right? A, a megalopolis, you can still find your pack. You can still find ways to do, right? To 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 take action that doesn't require the permission of a government or an institution. Uh, that doesn't require you being organized or led from above, but is simply something that you can do right now. And, uh, and I think you're right that staying at home and really having the, the time and, and being forced to have the time to open your eyes and see both the inequity as well as the inefficiency of the top-down measures that are coming at us. And to see, I think, so much more urgently the things that can be done in whatever community you're in from a bottom-up level that, that, that really is a place where I think we can make great strides. One of the ways I, I think that, that we can think about this is this uh, decision-making approach called uh, mini-max regret that I think is uh, a, a good way to, to think about you know, how one makes these decisions about where to spend your, your, your where to risk your time and money uh, you're, and, and frankly, I think where that ends up for me, at least, is trying to support the people like the, uh, the doctors, nurses, emergency responders on the front lines of this crisis, you know, who are in fact risking their lives. Because, you know, one thing that this, this become very clear to me from looking at every community's experience with this, whether it's starting in, in Wuhan, China, whether it's looking at the, the early experiences in, in Northern Italy, uh, going over to Spain, whether it's looking at the experiences here in the United States, is that the outcome, the disaster outcome occurs when your healthcare workers, they, when they fall to this, to this crisis. And if you apply this decision-making strategy of minimizing your maximum regret, what every maximum regret scenario has in this crisis is for your healthcare system to be overwhelmed, for it to fall. And so what, what, what I've been focused on in terms of my grassroots bottom-up effort has not been to, okay, well, how can I support the healthcare system? I can't make ventilators, right? I, 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 can't, and I, I can't take a crash course in, you know, intubation, you know, and get accredited to go, you know, work at a, 
in an ER somewhere. But what, what I can do, and, and I think what we can all do, is try to arm our healthcare workers and emergency responders with that uh, personal protection equi protective equipment. Yeah, the, the supplies, like the face masks, like the uh, isolation gowns and the like, that you know, it really serves as armor for them. So, um, you know, that's the effort that I've been particularly focused on myself. Uh, but I think there are so many other efforts that anyone, wherever they are, uh, can participate in with an eye towards, uh, you know, helping to, to fight these people, to, 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 to support the people who are really at the most risk in this war. Right? Whether it is the healthcare workers, whether it's the, the, the actual working men and women who've been really laid off and really are hurting from this the, the, the economic shutdown. These are where I think we, from a bottom-up grassroots level, should be spending our attention right now. And then, once we've won this war, then we can go on to, again, you know, burning down these institutions that betrayed us and, and, and create something better in their stead. I completely agree. So what are the logistics of your efforts to get the PPE to, um, to the, yeah, so, so, so it's an interesting question, right? Because, you know, part of the, again, the sociopathic oligarchy that's, you know, <laughs> let us down this, this path for the last 40 years, the part and parcel of that has been the offshoring of, of manufacturing outside of the United States and, and over to China so that the actual supplies that we need to arm our healthcare workers, you know, the marginal supply here is all, all made over in China. And that's fine, uh, except for when you have a situation like you do today where it becomes almost impossible to maintain the supply chains and it becomes so difficult to uh, participate in the supply chains without either driving up the price of this equipment even more than it's already been driven up. Because every country is now going to China and saying, we want what you've got, let us buy it. At the same time, then you've also got a lot of, I'll call it quality control issues, because if I'm a Chinese manufacturer, you've got to imagine, well, of course I'm going to shift my, you know, my production facility over to making these fake N95 masks, and I'm going to forge this FDA certificate, and, you know, I, I could have sold this for 25 cents, you know, three months ago, and today I'm going to get $5 for it. So the, our, our goal here was first to find a partner uh, who could help us on the ground in China, and, uh, and similarly to find a way of participating in this market without competing with the federal government and with these state uh, emergency authorities. Because what, what was also important, and I'm talking about what we're not doing, we don't want to compete with these federal and state agencies, but we also can't wait for these federal and state authorities, right? I, I mean, this, as, as much as we have a trickle-down economy when it comes to money, when it comes to, you know, Congress will bail out Boeing with $50 billion and, you know, the Fed will put a $2 trillion facility in place to, to bail out, you know, asset managers and, and bond issuers, right? 
that trickle-down economy is matched only by the trickle-down economy that you see in healthcare, right? Where, where FEMA will get, oh, we'll get a million masks in, and then they'll put it in a warehouse and they'll send 100,000 masks to, you know, one hospital system warehouse, and it never trickles down. Just like the money never trickles down to that, you know, that, 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 that waiter or truck driver who gets laid off in this, in this, this crisis, in the same way, these masks, this PPE, it never trickles down to the nurses, the doctors, the, the EMTs who are working a shift in, you know, in, in your city or your town. It never trickles down to them. So we, we weren't going to wait for that, but we also didn't want to try to compete for these million mask orders. So what we constructed, I'll, I'll call it like a, like to refer to it as like an underground railroad of PPE where we worked with the employees of a Fortune 50 company. Actually, it was Intel. Uh, I'll give them a little plug here. This is not an Intel corporate initiative. Right? Frankly, you know, we look at this and Intel corporate people took one look at the Epsilon Theory website and they said, well, no, we, we, we can't partner with you. <laughs> you know, it, was, it, was a little, it wasn't, you know, let's say, you know, corporate friendly at that, at that level. Do you want to but, burn us down? Exactly, exactly, right? So, but this was all done on the personal time, the personal pocketbook of Intel employees, not just here in the United States, but Chinese citizens who worked for Intel in mainland China, right? They were the ones who were actually going out and again on their own time and their own money. We've reimbursed them, of course, but they would go out and buy this equipment personally, package it together, mail it over here to us. We would then repackage it. We put out the word to try to get uh, doctors, nurses, emergency responders, let us know if you are in urgent need of PPE. We can't get you 10,000 masks, right? But we can absolutely get you 100 masks. We can get you 200 masks right, which then you can hand out to your team and bypass this trickle-down economy that we have set up, not just in, you know, money, but also in the equipment that's necessary to keep these healthcare workers alive. So it, it's, it's this grassroots, bottom-up effort it's just individuals. It's, it's like pure capitalism, right? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it, it's, it's just purely individuals coming together and, and organizing to do this. So it's, again, I can't tell you how gratifying it is to see both the willingness of people all over the world to step up and participate, uh, but, but also to donate money, to, to put out the word on this. So, you know, we've been doing this for like, I don't know, three weeks or so now, and we've raised over $800,000. We've distributed as of today over 30,000 N95 masks, all in packets of 50, 100, 200, directly into the hands of doctors and nurses and emergency responders. You know, we'll send it to their house because you get a lot of cases where, you know, if you send it to the hospital, you know, the hospital may say, oh, well, you know, what's that doing here? So it's, it's crazy what you have to do to get around the system. 
but it's also equally crazy and, and even more so gratifying to see how people will step up and really participate like this to get the job done. I, I completely agree. And I think you'll be happy to hear that something like this, uh, very similar to the, the process you just described happened within the Bitcoin community too in mm -hmm. New York. Um, actually, my co-host Matt Odell helped organize it. There was a Bitcoiner in China who had um, access to uh, a lot, a, a few thousand masks, and coordinated uh, with Bitcoiners in, in the states in New York, particularly, um, to get masks over here. And it, it was has. funny. It was funny the hurdles that um, had to be talked through. I, I wasn't as integral in the process as Matt, Matt Odell was, and, and some other New York Bitcoiners. Uh, due to the fact that I, that I was down here in South Jersey, but um, things to take into consideration, like you can't have an order over ten thousand because the FDA would have stopped at the border and 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 tried to like confiscate it and and uh, make sure that the masks were up to snuff. Um, but it is, it is funny that that's what it took, and so people bought masks individually and then wound up donating them or getting them straight to to nurses and doctors as well. Um, so it's it's incredible to see. Um, that this is happening, not just what you guys are doing, but, but outside yeah. of it as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I, that that doesn't surprise me at all. That effort that that you guys made, it's um, um, you know, it's another reason why I wanted to come on on, on your show again. Let me let me kind of give the quick blurb for the the website and the like we've got uh, for our effort because this is an ongoing effort. We get out about between 2,000 and 3,000 masks a day uh, all over the country to, uh, to, to, to people who need it. So the, the, the website is, is Frontline Heroes USA. It's all one word, frontlineheroesusa.org. And if you want to donate money, we can do that there. But as important, if you are a healthcare worker, an emergency responder, or you know someone who is, We've got the form online there. Let us know who you are. Like I say, we can't get a bulk order to a hospital system. We can absolutely get 100, 200 masks to a team, you know, to a doctor, to a nurse, to an EMT, to a fire department, right, who needs that stuff right now. So frontlineheroesusa.org. Go check it out, freaks. So these grassroots are grassroots efforts are popping up now and yep. like, so eventually hopefully this this virus blows over and the dust settles and we're looking around uh, at the emperors wearing no clothes what do you think happens like do you do you think revolution is in the air right now I mean, do you think like an occupy wall street type of anger comes back to that extent or hopefully larger yeah this is going to kind of get to i think kind of our original Bitcoin conversation, Marty, because I, I don't think that a protest, I don't think marching for something, I don't think voting for someone, I don't think that that, that changes the, the, the system. It doesn't change the, the hearts and minds of, of participants. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, de I'll describe kind of what, what I'm trying to do with Epsilon Theory. It's, it's, it's different from what I know you're trying to achieve with Bitcoin. I, I think, I know that we're allies in this, um, it's, but, it's, but it's a different path. So what, what I wanna do 
and this is why we named our company Second Foundation Partners, is that I, I really do think that there is an opportunity to use what we call the narrative machine to both measure and identify the narratives that are that we are inundated with. Many of them are anti-Bitcoin narratives, right? It's, it's, it's the narrative of Wall Street. It's the narrative of uh, the White House, whoever's in the White House, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, right? It's, it, it's, the, it's, it's the narrative of these institutions who, again, I think have, have revealed themselves as having betrayed us and our interest uh, during, during this crisis. I think there's an opportunity not only to, to identify and measure these narratives, but also increasingly to create our own narratives that both jam, uh, if you're talking about kind of signals, you know, to jam the signal of these narratives that are, 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 are being distributed today, but also to uh, put out our own narrative, which is not an answer and, and, it, and it won't be, oh, the answer is Bitcoin or the answer is, you know, vote for whoever or vote, or, you know, march for this. I, I really think that the, 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 the narrative that we can establish is one of, of reciprocity and empathy. It, it, it is a narrative of rejecting the... Uh, I'll call it the, the, the maximization decision-making uh, mythology that is, that, is, that is put at us constantly and replacing it with this narrative of resilience, of grassroots, bottom-up efforts to promote local, and I really do mean local, local reciprocity and empathy and cooperation. I, I do believe that is the right strategy for, again, I'm, I'm going to say sort of burning these institutions, not from above, not in some protest of pitchforks and torches, but burning them out from within by over time replacing the people who participate in these institutions with people who ascribe to the, to the values that I, I know you ascribe to and that, that I do as well, but also burning them down from below by, by really creating entirely alternative economies that don't necessarily operate at scale, uh, except I'll say kind of epistemically, you know, in terms of, of having a community that you know exists and you can communicate with. Uh, but I, I really do think that that's kind of the bottom-up approach of really ignoring and separating from these institutions rather than trying to march on them or to replace, you know, one sociopathic leader with another sociopath. And burn it all down by walking away. Um, There's is, a huge and, part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, so there, there was um, an instance in California, uh, an, an example of, of this localism starting that really gave me encouragement too. talking about PPE um, mm -hmm. they sh when they shut down the local gyms in this county, uh, the guy who ran the local gym actually started making like just bar sets uh, for individuals that he would then deliver to their houses so they could work out at home. And that one little action started uh, inciting sort of a feedback loop yes. of, of a new supply chain where 
uh, the the linen producer in the town saw him doing that and decided to repurpose his factory to make PPE for for people people who who wanted to to get masks and couldn't couldn't do so. So the, the linen factory turned into a mask factory. Yep. Um, and, and then from there, you just had the local economy sort of supporting itself and, and buying uh, buying um, goods from each other and supporting each other and, and keeping uh, economic activity going on as much as possible during during these tough times. That is a great example of what I mean by our finest hour. I mean, it really is these communities coming together. And I'm I'm. I'm certain that it that it happens at scale, right? The, the reason I wanted to to happen from this bottom up effort, Marty, is that for a long time I did think, right, that it was possible to have a defining moment, a defining top-down moment of call it rebellion, call it, you know, the emperor has you, whatever you want to call it. And I gotta tell you, it was it was really Jeffrey Epstein and you know, when that, that disabused me of that notion. And, and it, and it's what, what I, and, and I don't, I don't know whether he was killed or whether he committed suicide. And, and I, I say that I don't know because I don't care. I, I, I really don't care that the fact that he did die in custody at the jail, you know, the note I wrote on this was, was like from the, the Godfather, when you know Vito Corleone, you know, says to the five families, he's trying to get Michael, his son, back from Italy. He says, "Look, I, I'm a superstitious man, and you know, I'll forgive anything. But you know, if 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 Michael, you know, God forbid, you know, he gets arrested and you know he hangs himself in his in his jail cell, right? I'm going to blame some of the people in this room because and that it doesn't matter if it's an accident." Right or if it was intentional, it really doesn't matter. Right? That, that that can't happen in a non-corrupt state. It, it just can't, right? and yet it did. So I'm blaming the people in that room, that room of the corrupt state, the the room of of violence and power against children, you know, with impunity, and. What Epstein, that event hit me like a ton of bricks was, you know, the system, and again, I'm, not, I'm talking about the system, not, not, a, not an election, not a trial, you know, not the collapse of this particular company like AIG in 2008. The system is never going to collapse or be changed on a single point of failure. It's never going to happen on a single point of failure. It requires points of failure at scale, points of failure at scale. And, you know, my personal view, right, is that the medium of money is the wrong place to achieve those points of failure at scale, right, which is our old debate here. But, but, I, but, but I do think that we're on the same page here, that we're both looking for places to create points of failure with the current system at scale, and that if you can achieve that, then I do think we can make real change in the world. I agree. And I will push back that I do think money is important, <laughs> important tool to go after. Because, uh, And I think Bitcoin gives power back to the common man. So that's a trope I've been 
uh, not a trope, a, a, a saying I've been falling back on repeating throughout this crisis is the common man is just begetting the short end of the stick. Your, your blue collar worker who just wants to, to live his life, work, do hard work, provide for his family, uh, come home and, and enjoy the fruits of his labor. And I think the money, the monetary system, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain of it, though, doesn't allow him to do that. He's got to chase for yield. He's got to go out, uh, and he, he, he's not allowed to say he can try to save money, but due to the inflationary policies that exist in our current monetary policy, he's not able to. His purchasing power is destroyed over the course of his lifetime. It's forcing both parents into the workforce and then destroying the family life to some regard. The divorce rates at all time highs, money stress is very big stress. One of the biggest stress inducers in, in the world. Um, so giving the common man, the ability to take back, uh, his ability to save and accumulate capital over time and then do that in a currency that's completely, uh, disconnected from the traditional financial system and do that on his own, take possession of it on his own and not have the ability to have that con- well, can be confiscated. It's just very hard to do so. I think that's powerful. And I, I don't think it's a panacea. Like you said, you got to find these points within the system that can be attacked. And I do think money is a very important one to attack. And I think, I think Bitcoin is succeeding and, and doing that. And I think a lot of people are beginning to question, particularly after the bailouts. I mean, you, you tweeted out, the bailout, the uh, set aside a clause. The the Fed set aside a clause that that uh, assured that the executives are going to be able to get their bonuses this year. Yeah, and, but bank executives, right? It's just, it, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable, right? It's it's happening in plain sight. Um, I just, it, it really is a, I, I think a. a you know, we, we, we are arguing from the same side of the table. I, I think it's an argument of, about tactics rather than strategy. Uh, and like I say, I, 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 I see us in, as, as allies in this for sure. Um, and so it's, it's not, I think, worth going, you know, too far down the, you know, allies arguing about this, this tactic versus that, that tactic because it's a, it's a, it's a big world and, and, the ability to fight this war on multiple fronts, I think, is uh, uh, only o- only a positive thing here. No, I agree, and I do like, and I do think the the increased anger and the increased uh, knowledge, more importantly, people are. It's become. I mean, if two thousand eight wasn't obvious that people were getting screwed, now it's blatantly obvious. People are sitting at home, they get twelve hundred dollars worth of Trump bucks while the Boeing's and the bank executives and the hedge funds get trillions of dollars, and in our basically rewarded for their their undue risk that was in the first place incentivized by the federal banking system um, you know you know marty i think what's going to be really interesting and um kind of you're asking the question about you know what comes next right what we've seen over the past you know, 11 years now and certainly it's accelerated over the last three years is this disjuncture, this 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 gulf between what I'll call you know real world and market world, right? The real economy and the market economy, to the point where you know the 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 stock market we're off you know after today will be off like I don't know eleven percent from our all time high, something like that. You know nothing, essentially nothing, right? 
And and we look at you know high yield debt and, and you know other other debt instruments. It's you know less than ten percent off. Less than ten percent off. That's all where you know a lot of the big private equity funds have given their their investors their their marks on their portfolio as of March thirty first and you won. And I saw, for example, a Goldman Sachs private equity book. They they wrote it down by three percent, two point nine percent. I mean, the, the question is going to be, can you maintain this gulf between what's happening in the real world and the pain that's occurring in the real economy with the support and the lack of pain in the market economy? Market. Uh, that, that to me is going to be the story of the of, of of the next six months, and and I'll give you a, you know, two ways this can go. One way this can go, is a continuation of what we've seen today, right? Which is that the, I'll call it the conflict, between market world and real world, is sublimated. Is focused on the uh, the election in November, right? where everyone says, oh, we can fix it if we vote Trump out, right? Or, oh, we can keep the, 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 the good times rolling if we vote Trump in. It, that's one way it can go. And that would be just such an enormous tragedy, I think, right, if, that, if that's the way it goes. But, but, but I think there's a real possibility that is the way it goes. There's another path this could go, though, and, and, I, and I want to take you back to 2008, because in... in March, mid-March of 2008, Bear Stearns uh, was, uh, went from, its stock price went from $95, I think, at its peak, kind of in February, to a price of $2 uh, when it was, uh, you know, the Fed kind of took it out in the middle of the street and shot it in the head. And then they gave the carcass to uh, J.P. Morgan uh, for $5 a share. That happened at the end of of the end of March, and the market came roaring back in April and May, just like we're seeing today, to the point where by kind of mid-May, the market was almost all the way back to its peak from the from 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 at its all-time high, and the the, the argument was the argument was oh. Systemic risk is off the table. That was the, the, the line you heard repeated over and over again after Bear Stearns was eliminated. Right? Subprime that, 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 is contained. Yes, yeah, subprime is contained. Systemic risk is off the table. It was just this one bad actor of Bear Stearns, and we took care of that, so all is well. But then, of course, the rot, the... Uh, uh, the just the the sheer inequity of this enormous asset class called residential mortgage-backed securities. Of course, that risk was not limited just to bear stearns; it, was, it permeated the financial system. And as that became clear in the summer of two thousand eight, market world reacted with the great fall and crisis of, of, that we remember of the great financial crisis. So 
I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see over the next six months because I think that that similar thing, that Bear Stearns moment of 2008, is in a sense happening again today. Right? When the market is coming back, they're saying, oh, you know, we're going to have this treatment or that treatment. You know, we've got the Fed's going to support. It's all going to be fine. It's contained, right? And we'll see. We'll see because my, my, my view is that the, the damage that's been done to the real economy into the real world with real people is so much more pronounced and ubiquitous than market world believes it is. And, and, I, and I think that's really going to tell the tale, whether we, we're seeing a repeat of 2008 or whether we're going to see more of what we've seen over the last 11 years where this crisis is just pushed down onto a, a you know, who are you voting for for president? And the system remains the same. That that's what I think we have to be watching for. I agree. I I'm very skeptical that we will uh, we will see a V-shaped recovery. I mean, it's just you can't shut down the economy and expect it to bounce back right away. This is again a complex system that is basically an organism, and and you just don't turn a switch and turn it back on. I think that'll become glaringly obvious in, in the next few months, and. I think the screen grab of, of Kramer on CNBC the day uh, unemployment hits number hit 16 million Americans. And in the background, I think the, the, the uh, ticker line was 6.5 million Americans file for unemployment. And in the background, you have the Dow second best day in history. Like in yeah. The background. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it's a, it's, a it's a, I think that will be uh, an image that, that that goes down in history as, as a, juxtaposition that really describe the the disconnection of the day right on brother right on well i know you only have 45 minutes it flew by um it's always a pleasure sitting down and chatting with you keep fighting the good fight um thank you marty you too you too and uh, uh, frontlineheroesusa.org for us and uh uh i'll keep looking to uh listen to tales from the crypt this is great yeah you should spin up a bitcoin wallet. i'll send you some bitcoin um let's do this <laughs> yeah yeah all right um i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend thanks That's marty what we got today peace and love freaks Ticky.